this has been playing at our house on repeat. <laughs> Brady, um, it's funny, I listen to the Maverick City constantly, this whole, um, we would say CD, this whole album I just fell in love with. And anybody that knows me knows I absolutely love Dante Bowie um, from his very beginnings, and now he's everywhere, and I'm just loving it because his heart for worship. But Brady's been waking up with the morning, in the morning with this song. He's been going to bed with it in his mind. So then he got me listening to it, and this is all we, we sing at our house and play. But this song's very significant to us and to those of you. I'm sure you probably caught the significance um, if you listen to the words, he says in the second verse, we got together every Wednesday night, about 30 teenagers. My friend Josh got a new guitar, barely knew how to play it. And he said he wasn't, um, wasn't putting on a show, but he says, but we sure touched heaven <laughs> on those Wednesday nights. We, and that, that was us. That was our little group that um, now have all these little ones running around. Um, we just got together. We just would gather together constantly. We just always wanted to be together. Um, and I was talking to Rick not too long ago, and he was at our house, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s now, and I know what my time is worth to me. I'm constantly going, you know. I'm finally really in this point where I'm just moving with my kids in 50 directions, and I think back to the hours that we sat around Rick and Phyllis's table while they cooked for us and talked to us. And, and Karen, as I followed her through the house, well, she taught me how to put on makeup and how she taught me how to do my hair, and then she taught me how to get free. And then, of course, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, who hosted me for, like, months, it felt like, at their house, just pouring into me truth and wisdom, Kelly and Linda and... There's just uh, numerous people that were constantly sewing into us. And as a group, we were absorbing it. we just taking it all in. And we wanted to be together, and we wanted to be closer to God. And it was so much fun. It was so good. And that is why we have this group. I said to Rick, that little, all these kids, you know, these are, this is our foundation. This is what, this is tomorrow's church. And now what are we going to do with them? We have so many children. It's just booming. Our, our children's ministry is booming. Our kids, and we're fruitful. We have another one getting ready to come. And so what are we going to do with these children? I know that we are here today and we stuck around because of the wisdom that we absorbed, what was spoken to us over and over again by Kenny and Cheryl. I mean, they were, when I look back at you specifically and what you were in the midst of, and yet you hosted all of us. I mean, constantly, food and games, and, and never a bad day with Cheryl. It's that sewed into us. And we went from house to house to house constantly. And everything that we have right now, we haven't left, we won't leave, we're in covenant. We are rooted, we are grounded. Winds might blow, we might get offended here and there, but we're staying, we're rooted and grounded. We need to put that into our children, but it is a different age now. It's a different time than when we were growing up. Um, so today's world is full of censorship. We can't just say what we want. Kids, when they, get, when they say whatever they want, um, and they're in school, and they're on a platform, they get expelled, or not expelled, but they get suspended, they get time out, they get repercussions for it. 
You can't just say things. I had to laugh because when I was thinking about the message I'm about to give you, I thought, boy, if I ever ran for Senate or something like that, they would probably pull it back up off the podcast and try to use it against me so I couldn't get into office. (laughs) Not to scare you about what I'm going to say, but there is definitely an agenda in our world. And if you're missing it, you're really not turning on the TV and social media, and that's great. It is, but it's everywhere. Um, (laughs) When... We, we had Trent and we had Josiah, and they would watch the Wiggles all day long. Now, the Wiggles have what's called a non-binary member. They used to have, what, Dorothy the dinosaur? Well, now they have Shirley Sean, and Shirley Sean was born a boy, unicorn, but she dresses like a girl unicorn, and they call her Shirley Sean. Sesame Street now has a new family on the block. It's um, two males, two dads, and a daughter, I believe. You remember Gordon and his wife and Cindy and, I mean, I loved Sesame Street. That was everything. Watched it constantly. Our kids have that. I'll never forget when Josiah was watching the cutest show called Loud House on Nickelodeon. And um, I, I was in the other room cleaning or something and all of a sudden I heard something and I thought, what? And I walked in and there's two dads on it and they're in bed and you can't see them but you can hear them. Their little boy is outside of the room, and they're listening to a conversation that they're going to adopt another baby. And I'm like, oh, sheesh. (laughs) Didn't even know it was on there. He'd been watching it for a while. It's a cute show about a boy with 13 sisters. He could relate, right? It's like, okay. If you can't turn on the commercials, Hallmark commercials, everything. Santa has a boyfriend now they're talking about on one of the ads, and it's everywhere. Mom says there's a Gap ad. and two guys are kissing on it, and it's just, and I know it feels defiling to hear about it, but we can't put our heads in the ground anymore. Your kids aren't being kept from it. So college was a struggle for me. I had just gotten saved. I was on fire, and I went away to Kent, and I loved my professors because they loved poetry, and they loved literature, and that was my area. And I sat there, though, and every day it was a challenge. Everything I believed was challenged. And I'd go home and talk to Rick and Phyllis about how much I loved the Lord and how excited I was about my new walk. And yet, I was always so tormented on what was truth and what was not. I was raised in a house that believed in evolution. I was raised, I mean, they believed in Jesus and evolution. I still don't know quite how that worked, but it did. (laughs) Um, You know, it was a very science-minded house, and it wasn't based on creation. So I... I really wavered. I, um, I went back and forth. Actually, I had a college professor tell me I was flighty. And <laughs> probably was, actually, back then. When I signed Josiah up to take college courses, he's in a program called uh, College Credit Plus. So he's taking his first college courses this year. He's taking art. And when I talked to his um, guy, his counselor at Kent, he's a Christian, and he graduated from a Christian college. And he we're all excited, and da da da. And he says, I gotta tell you something. You're homeschooled, right? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, Listen, I graduated from a Christian college. I get it. But professors tend to challenge Christian worldviews. And he's young. A lot of parents aren't okay with that. And I'm like, Dude, I prepped him for this. This is the moment we've been waiting for. <laughs> I spent a fortune on his education just for this moment. <laughs> Let's see how he does. And we pushed him in. He starts taking this class, and he's it's way easier than what he's been doing up until this point or the last few years, isn't it, bud? And we're in um, the car waiting on the girls to get done with dance, and he's reading his, um, this is the very beginning, so we're reading and taking notes together just to get him used to it. 
And I said, go ahead and read it to me. I want to hear it as we read. And we were discussing. And he gets, he's going through all of these pieces of art. And he finally gets to this one photo, this one art piece. And it's about, a, a, there's a man at a pool and another man looking down. And here the artist wrote it about a relationship. And he's gay. And he writes. And of course, they're going through and describing all these pieces of art. And Josiah said, they keep going on and on and on about this art piece. They didn't do that with all the others. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. This is, this is the way the world is. I just keep reading. And he starts reading again. And he finally says, I'm not reading any more of this, Mom. I don't want to read any more of this. I don't think it's right. I know what they're doing. And I said, put down your book. That's good. <laughs> and he stopped. But I prepped him for that. Now listen, I am no model mother. <laughs> My friends know me so well. They get the phone calls. Rick knows me. My husband knows me. My mother-in-law. Craig just heard me crying on the phone to him this week. I am not a perfect mom. I melted down at the doctor's office crying. I, I don't do everything perfect. I won't be perfect. I never will be perfect. I have a vision, though, and I know that's right for my children, and I live with that vision. I know I'm quoting the song, but I really do. It is my compass these days. And I am preparing my kids to go out and be ready for all of this because I wasn't ready. And I stumbled for many, many years over it. So going back to scripture, okay, <laughs> let's get to it. There's Israel and there's Judah. They divide it. And Judah consistently were stumbling. And they usually were stumbling because the kings that were put in charge weren't following the law, the mandates, what God has asked them to do. And they just keep falling and falling and stumbling and stumbling. And then you'd get this really great king and he'd like put back the pieces back together. And then another king would come and undo all that. And it was constant until finally they were carried away captive to Babylon. And that's where you get into like Jeremiah. This is all kings. You get into Jeremiah and they're talking about this captivity that they've been carried away with for many, many years until, I believe, Cyrus, correct? And Cyrus released them and sent them back, but some chose to stay. Some chose to stay in Babylon, and I believe that's how we got Esther um, and Mordecai, and they, their generations passed that, and they stayed in Persia, and, but they're, they, you know, when, when they're carried away captive, they're considered exiles in Babylon, okay? And, of course, they're slaves there, but once they get freed with Cyrus, they're treated very poorly. And that's where you, you see that in Esther, in her story, that, you know, it's not okay. If she would have been a Hebrew, she would have been cast out of the harem, and she would definitely not have had a chance to be queen. But he falls in love with her, Xerxes, and that's it. She's queen. But up until that point, they, were, um, they weren't killing them necessarily, but they were seen as very low and worthless and just less than because of coming up out of this, um, this captivity. So I read a book by John Mark Comer, and it's called Live No Lies, and it really stuck with me. And he says, we are exiles in Babylon, and that's where we are. We're not being persecuted. No, not at this point, not yet, but we are definitely ex exiles. We are in a land that we are not, we don't belong to. So 65% of adults, that would be 40 and plus, consider themselves Christians. So 65, that's a pretty decent number. 49% of millennials, I'm not a millennial, but my husband is, so <laughs> I'm not. 
they consider themselves Christians, 49%. 10% of young adults are considered resilient believers, Christians. I mean, they'll say, I'm a Christian, but are they? 10%. If you would go to bigger cities like New York, you'd go to Seattle, you go to places like that, I guarantee that number is lower. The church is, and he words it as hemorrhaging, millions of young people a year. They're walking away. I'm going to try to stay to my notes because you know how I get, guys. <clears throat> we are considered what's called a cognitive minority. You can put that together, cognitive minority. We're not an ethnic minority, but we are a cognitive minority, meaning that what? We don't think and believe like the rest of the world around us. Have you noticed that? Why do you think you struggle every day? <laughs> Why do you think it's so hard? We are a minority. We are not thinking like the rest of the world around us, and we're living there. We are exiles in Babylon. We're not a part of this world. We don't belong, and they know it. So you're either going to take it, the words, the accusations. You, you, get, you will get called a bigot if you let them know what you really believe. They'll say you're a bigot. They'll say you're not tolerant. They'll say all kinds of stuff about you. Or you compromise and you say, well, I, I don't know. In scripture, you can like read it however you want. Maybe it's just figurative. Well, that was a long time ago. You can reason it out. If our young people aren't rooted and aren't grounded, that's what they're going to do. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm getting so getting worked up. <clears throat> Good. <laughs> we, Kate, we are in constant pressure to assimilate to this world around us. <clears throat> we are not the popular culture, okay? We're just not. There's a popular culture. It's what would be called and considered the host culture, what's going on around us. Um, we are what's called the counterculture. Okay, counterculture. You've heard that in a lot of songs. Josiah, what's the, the Supertone song? Fight on. God is fight on to one last one. <laughs> if you know that song, you'll know that's what they're talking about. They're talking about being exiles in Babylon, being the counterculture. Um, so what I want to talk to you about is the term worldview. And I am actually getting into my point here soon, but I needed to build a background for you guys. So a worldview is used to describe a core set of values and principles through which the world is understood. A worldview is a compilation of an individual's perception of the world and essentially the way a person understands their reality. A person's worldview is very important as it impacts virtually every decision in your life. So you don't know it, but you have a worldview that was set in you as a young child or hopefully redeemed then as you got older. But the worldview um, has basically comes to grips with these three questions. Where did we come from? And why are we here? Why is there something terribly wrong with the world? And can what is wrong in the world be fixed? So then a Christian worldview would be viewing the world through a Christian and biblical view. So every human being on this earth has these questions. And they're going to answer it differently depending on how what their worldview is. 
and your worldview, you don't realize you're carrying it, but like when you hear a story in the news, when you're on social media and things are coming at you, you're assimilating that information based on your worldview. So as a little girl, my worldview, I believed in Jesus. I was Catholic. I believed um, in Mary, and I would pray, and I, would, I believed in miracles, believed in a lot of good things, but I also believed in evolution, sort of, kind of. And I kind of believed that, I, I believed a lot of different things that I won't get into now because it's going to take too much time, but yeah, I had these thoughts. And when I went to college, being a new believer, walking these things out, and I went to college, my worldview, which was core within me, was wrestling with my newfound faith. And I couldn't get my head up above the water. And I'm not going to lie. 2020 just about crushed me because I was still carrying some of these worldviews that I didn't know I still had. And Brady and I would have these long, in-depth dialogues when he'd get home from work about what I really thought was truth and not. And, you know, we didn't mean to get into all that, but it was, I was wrestling with it because it wasn't foundational in me. But I got four kids to raise. What am I going to do? <clears throat> the Jewish culture, they don't study the Bible. They don't actually pick up the Bible. Well, okay, back in biblical times. We're talking years and years. Well, this would have still been in the, the way it would have been in the 40s and in the 30s. The Jewish boys would go and study at the temple at the age of 13 where they would study the word. Up until that time, how did they get the word? How were they taught the Bible? Who knows? Are you guys awake? Their parents. They told it to them orally. They read it to them. They told them the stories over and over again. They would tell them these stories. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6. This has been my compass as a homeschool mom because it is days. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> and other days, Brady calls and I'm like, and I can't get anything done, and everything's falling apart. But I always go back to this. Deuteronomy is probably one of the less, lesser read books of the Bible, but it is profound if you get into it. And Val Cole actually gave this to me. It would have been when Josiah was going into kindergarten when I chose to homeschool, and I held on to it. It says in Deuteronomy, These are the commands, decrees, and the laws of the Lord that um, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Um, so it's the, I think this is the very beginning of Deuteronomy 6, if you want to look it up. Verse 3, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that I may go, so it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. This is where the kings of Judah did not, it did not go well for them. He says in verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk at them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. 
Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. There's so much that you can get into in the scripture. But this is where I'm at. Now, Josiah's in here. He can attest to this. I, um, I'm pretty repetitive. I do well with structure. and So we get up and we try to do the same thing every day. But it doesn't always go the same way. When I fail, my kids know I fail directly at that moment. As soon as the Lord can get into my head and tell me to calm down and think about what I'm doing, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not allowed to act like that. I'm not allowed to say that. I'm not engaging with you. I'm sorry. Like, you know, mommy saw, you saw mommy get mad at that person. (laughs) Really strong with them on the phone (laughs) and angry. Um, You know, some of it's okay. And some of it I explain, you know, we have to be assertive in some areas, but when I fail, like when the Lord's saying, Marie, you need to repent, my kids know about it. They see me. They see me when I get up and when I'm happy and I'm drinking my coffee, and they see me at my worst. And they see me when I go to bed at night and I'm repentant and I'm, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. Guys, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't want the day to go that way. They see me at my best and at my worst because my kids are always with me. <laughs> And that is a great thing and a hard thing. I definitely need my time out in a way, but it helps me because I'm writing it on my doorpost. I'm putting it on my forehead. I'm saying it to them over and over and over and over and over again. They're constantly hearing it, aren't you, Josiah? <laughs> the Jewish people told their stories over and over again through stories and songs, through generation and generation. They know their Bible. They knew their Bible. Their Bible grounded them. They knew their scriptures. They knew the promises. They knew when God said that he was going to do it, he was going to do it because they knew the stories. It was in them over and over. The repetition. How many of your kids know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? I taught them that through song. When you sing it, you know it. If you get on a hayride with Phyllis or around a bonfire, you're going to know it because she sings it, and she sings it, and she sings it, and when you're 40 and you go into her house, she's going to start singing it again. You know them. You know the stories. They've either told you over and over again. We tease Diane all the time about the stories she's told us over and over again, but we know them, and now we get to tell them to our kids. It gets passed down. We know her story. We know what she came out of. We know how Diane Brothers became Diane Brothers, that's my children's legacy. That's their lineage, over and over again. They told their stories to their children over and over again. They told their stories about their grandparents and about their great-grandparents and on and on and on. So repetition, over and over again. So now I'm going to get to my main point. That's the background story of all of this. I want you to think about how many hours your kids are with you. And I'm not telling everybody homeschool is the right thing for everybody. And my best friends work in the school district. And they're the best things about school. I can tell you that. If my kids could go and sit in Katie's class constantly with Katie, I'd be cool with it because <laughs> I know they'd get the same kind of things that I'm giving my kids, and the same kind of heart and the same kind of spirit. But that is not the world we live in. <clears throat> and I'm going to jump around here just to get through this a little bit more quickly. But 
you get up in the morning, you're rushing out the door to get your kids on the bus or to get them to school. And I know what that's like because I know what it's like just to get to church. And that's like three hours later. <laughs> and so that happens. Then they go to school and they're there for what, eight hours? And then they come home and they do their homework and then they go to their practice and then you're getting table, food on the table. They're not with you as much as they're with them. And that's okay. Like, I know these kids. I don't want to... I don't want to condemn. I know these kids. I know what they're getting. I know who their grandparents are. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, I'm telling the next generation whose kids are getting ready to come up, these girls pour into their kids constantly, and, and fathers, don't get me wrong, but they have to combat that constantly. It's a lot of work. They have built a Christian worldview. I know these kids, and they have. They've done that through their families, and it's taking the grandparents and everything to do this. I get it. Homeschooling is a very simple route to that, in my opinion. It is a commitment, but I don't have this fear because I'm joining with companies that their goal is to create in your children a Christian worldview. I want to tell you a little bit, a quick snippet about the history of schools. Um, so Horace Mann, I believe it was Horace, but in the, um, the 19th century, he believed that you should start mandating education. So they mandated education, meaning that um, children had to go to school, but it was monitored at a local level. And so at that point, you still had a lot of, um, the majority of it was a Christian curriculum. It was set around Christian views. Um, but it was compulsory education at that point, meaning that your children have to be in school. By a certain age, they have to, and that's when it started. Then John Dewey came on the stage in um, 1859, and this was the same year that Darwin published The Origin of um, Species. And he liked Christianity, but he did not like the idea of sinners, that we're sinners, and that there's one sovereign God. And so, he believed that if you gave more power to the state and that you let the state create more curriculum and get rid of the bias of Christianity in it or anything that comes from that, any kind of bias, that you could create a new, com new community. And he called this a new faith. So when they created schools at the government level, not local level, the government, it was called a new faith. And these schools then began to teach from that perspective. So it was all based on becoming a good citizen. And it was based on preparing you for a job. Where prior to that, it was just education, knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? It's not like the state, Ohio State Board of Education was like, knowledge is good, let's do this. This is a new concept. Or that the United States government said, let's set up schools, public schools, because education is this new cool kind of thing that's coming. Where does knowledge come from? God. The heavens declare it. It's the glory of God to, um, what is it, to conceal a matter. It's the glory of man to find it, to search it out. Knowledge is from God. Mathematics, if you are mathematically inclined, that came from God, your creator, who created with mathematics. Science, all of it. Our bodies, all of it. He is the creator. He's the one that created the whole world using all of these things that we're trying to search out. He is the originator of education. So it came from him. Separating him from it empties out all of the value. 
We should be educating our children so they understand the glory of who God is. The majesty of studying the heavens, knowing that God, our creator, placed all of these things in only for his glory. And the mathematics to see just how profound and deep he is with who he is, the wisdom and the knowledge, and, and that he loves to give us a good mystery to solve. It all came from him, but man could send there and they think they can make it better. <laughs> and I don't want you to get me wrong because I am a teacher at heart. It is in me. It's obviously why I did the Sunday school for so many years. It's why I'm standing up here. I love to teach. I loved school. School made all the difference in my life. That's the irony of me standing here, is that it was consistent. It was scheduled. It was safe. I knew I got to school, and I was going to get my little milk and my crackers, and my teachers were going to be, for the most part, nice to me. And I could draw and write, and nobody was going to usually yell at me, as long as I did everything OK. And, and I love my parents. Don't get this wrong, because they were the best parents, but they were so young and coming out of so much stuff. And I'm a Christian, and I know better, and I still make my kids' day sometimes rocky. But I loved school. I love learning. Like, I'm such a nerd. I'll read something, and Brady, I'm like, Brady, you got to listen to this. And I call Diane, you got to, this is so cool. I love to learn. I love education. So I really love being a homeschool mom because I like to teach. 100% of children in our school district get free and reduced lunch. They get free lunches. That's how big our poverty line is in this area. If we didn't have our school over there, most of our kids wouldn't eat. I mean, reality-wise, 100% of Southern Locals kids. That's a lot. And Katie and Jesse and Emily's not here and Corwin's not here and Becky, who are, where are those all the teachers that are here? But, you know, they bring Jesus to those kids. And I did that. I still get emails and texts from my students who tell me that I made such a difference and that even though I didn't talk about God, they could see him on me. I won't regret that. And if the Lord told me to, I'd go back tomorrow and do just what these guys are doing. <clears throat> so I get it. I invested in Christopher Milo to go into the school. Took a whole bunch of, if not all of our money in the study school program and did that. And he's still over there working with those kids, so I don't regret it. <laughs> we need to be in the schools. But see, when we're different, we, here, us, our group, no, that we're not, a, and I said this to Rick not too long ago, and Phyllis, we're not a user-friendly church. We see people come and go all the time. We're walking out freedom. We're not like every church, and we're not called to be like every church, and our kids aren't like every kid. So I'm not talking about every kid in Columbiana County. I'm talking to you, the future church generations. <clears throat> we have got to start stamping into our place as families, as the global church. Do you know we ourselves can do what the schools are doing? As a church, we could provide, but as families more so. We can do and we can be so much if we stay in a position of being grounded and rooted in the Lord. Okay, so basically your kids, I said all that to say, they're about 15,000 hours in school. That's a lot, 15,000 hours. Coming to church is not going to necessarily cut it. 
it's a part of it. It's definitely the relationships you see the kids up here, those relationships are going to keep them here. Those relationships, um, I mean, if you have to miss church for any reason, we get tears, right? <laughs> it's like they want to be here. My friends, like, you know, Jesse called me not too long ago. I'm checking in on you. I could tell you're not in a good place. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Yep, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm in covenant with her. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Not leaving. <laughs> and so that's a lot. But you can't expect to have your kids go back to Sunday school for 40 minutes and get rooted and grounded in any kind of Christian worldview, people. It's not going to happen. Hala's back there coloring a picture. It's not going to do it. It's not. Jessica and Scott do a phenomenal job back there of teaching the kids, pour themselves all week into preparing. That 40 minutes is not going to do it. You have got to read your Bible with your kids. They've got to know the history. They have to. The timeline, what was surrounding it. And, and your kids might cringe and they might, Josiah is reading through the Bible right now and he's like, oh, he's doing it for one of his classes. It's not easy. But you have to be, prepare them. So um, I'm going to try to wrap this up. I'm sorry, I'm taking so long. So you know me. I keep my kids in a very small circle. You guys are my kids' people, right? You get them. Not too many people else get them. That's not necessarily intentional. It's just our world. I don't have a ton of time to get them around every place. But um, their best friends are here for the most part. They've got a few friends outside of this. I've kept them pretty sheltered, I guess. And yet it came in. And Josiah gave me permission to share this story. But um, he was online with a group of friends that um, he'd met through uh, cousins. And, and he's gaming. And all of a sudden, um, a comment gets made that Josiah is one of the worst kind of people. He's one of the worst kind of people. <laughs> and... And I'm, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and this is from somebody who cares about him. But they know that he's, they basically accuse him of being intolerant. <laughs> that he's not tolerant. That he doesn't like homosexuals. And he's the worst kind of people. Well, Josiah's never actually even talked about homosexuality with his kids. But you know why they said that to him? Because he's a Christian and he goes to church. And he's homeschooled. <laughs> and so I have to proceed to debrief Josiah to say, that's not who God says you are. Now, we've talked to Josiah about homosexuality. We were in Ikea and a transgender man checked us out. And Josiah's like, why is he dressed like that? And I tell him the same thing over and over again. I write it on my doorpost. I write it on their hearts. I say it over and over again. They are believing a lie, and they're in captivity because of that lie. They have a wound in their heart, probably inflicted on them from something in their childhood that tried to take away their innocence. And they have a God-shaped hole in their heart they're trying to fill with the practice of immorality, thinking it'll make them happier. But in the end, they're more sad, and we need to pray for them because they're lost, and they're wounded, and they've lost their identity, and they don't know that God's their father and loves them. Over and over again. Time after time, write it on their heart, write it on their forehead, tell it to them. So that when my kids see somebody who's homosexual or transgender, they don't look at them in disgust, but they look at them in compassion. But they know the truth. God did not create that man to dress like a woman. He is a man, and it was stolen from him as a child, right? It's perversion. It is what it is. 
And if this was put on Facebook, I'm sure everybody would tell me what a bigot I am. But I am rooting and grounding my children in truth. And that's the only way we will get past all this. I'm telling you what, relationships I've had have crumbled. I'm not moving. I don't really care. God did not make mistakes. There's an order he put to things, and the enemy is trying to tear that order down. He's trying to create chaos so that he can, in his mind, take over at one point in time. But we are a part of building that up. My friends that are in the school, they're holding up a standard that's very heavy to hold because nobody else around them is doing it. And your kids are there doing the same thing, and I watch them fight through. And those kids will have grit, and they will have fortitude. But if you're sending your kids to school, you have, you're going to have to put in the time. You're going to have to put in the hours. You're going to be exhausted, and my friends are exhausted. I'm not going to lie. I'm really exhausted, too. <laughs> Homeschool is not easy. Summer can tell you. It's not easy. It's really not. But there's so much in it that's really good. Because Josiah put that book down, and I didn't tell him to. <laughs> right? It's pretty cool. So I'm telling you all this. We're being very transparent with you guys. And I knew it wasn't a happy, feel-good message. But it is one that I really feel like you guys needed to hear. Read your Bibles with your kids. Tell them your story. Tell them how you met. Tell them how you found love. Tell them. Tell them what their grandparents had to overcome to get to where they are. Tell them. Tell them all the hard stuff, the ugly stories too. They want to hear them, and it will root them. It will ground them. Tell them you may be persecuted for what you believe. You may be. Elias says, Does everybody, did everybody die back then, like when we're in Afghanistan, when they stand up and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I believe that? Sometimes they die. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. But you have to be ready. We are the counterculture. We are exiles in Babylon. We get nuked on social media when we say something. We get banned. These poor pastors who, were, who stood up in 2020, and our poor pastor is no exception. Said all kinds of stuff. And, and I stumbled over Rick sometimes because I did not have this Christian worldview. But it's in my kids, and I don't know how it got there other than I just followed the steps, <laughs> step upon step. And I'm praying it continues. So we're going to have to grow in the counterculture. We're going to have to get strong in it. You're going to have to teach your kids to withstand the storms. Um, I would like to talk to anybody about homeschooling who would be interested at some point in time. Um, and those of you who are, like, Summer and I talk, I don't get, I, I would love to be more hands-on with things, but homeschooling for me, the benefit for my children is that they're home, and they like that. Um, being home is important to them. Now, my youngest ones, they're just starting, um, but my oldest ones, they can do their work really quickly. It takes just a couple hours, and they're, they have it done. Um, and, but the younger ones, I'm still in the, um, the, what's it called? I'm in the weeds still <laughs> with them. 
but we are kicking around starting a co-op at the school and a co-op or at the church. We could do a university model, but it probably won't start like that. So I'll tell you what a co-op is. It's basically where you meet here a few days a week, two, three, whatever you want. Each parent kind of teaches a different thing, and then you're not in it all by yourself. The other days you're home reinforcing, doing the reading, doing the, the homework and the stuff like that. I feel like college, right? You have Monday, Wednesday classes, you have Tuesday, Thursday classes, and in between you do other work. And that's what we're probably gonna be starting with this next generation of kids that are coming up for anybody that would be interested. Um, the concerns about homeschool are always about the same question I get over and over again. What about socialization? <laughs> How do you make sure your kids aren't weird? And I say all the time, have you met my kids? <laughs> and my kids will say, like, what if we're different? Like, they go to dance and they meet new kids. What if we're different? And I'm like, you're supposed to be different. <laughs> you're not going to fit in. You're supposed to be different. But, the, you know, the socialization we get from grandma and grandpa. The, the first time I ever thought about homeschooling was a student of mine. He was the best writer I've ever had. Shared that he did homeschool for a couple hours. He would have been Josiah's age. And then he went to work on the farm with his grandpa. What do you think the kid got more out of? <laughs> Chris Vallotton. Where would Chris Vallotton be without his grandpa? The time spent with the grandparents. Josiah has learned how to change the oil on the tractor. He's learned to mow. He's had so much time with his grandparents. Um, and Craig's just continuously teaching him more and more things. And then just, you know, it, it, it takes all of us doing these things. But that's some of the benefits of homeschooling. The kids that come out of homeschooling, and this is just my opinion, that when they go to high school or they go to college that are a little off seemingly, that comes from a religious spirit that tells them, doesn't say, you're not of the world, so don't be in it. It's not how it works. You're not of this world, but you're to go out into it. And, and they keep them from that, and they keep them in this religious viewpoint where it's condemnation rather than compassion. So it's really all in you as a parent, how you function, how your kids are going to turn out. Back in biblical days, they didn't become like little disciples because they hung out in school all day. They got that from their parents and following Jesus inevitably. You know, it was never this way. It was never the way it is today. Um, so I want to make sure I got to everything <clears throat> because then tonight I'll be like, oh, say that. Um, so if you're interested in learning about homeschool, I would love to go on and on and on about that someday to you. <laughs> and we can have a meeting. I'm thinking like maybe February. Um, a lot of kids may be starting in um, kindergarten this year in our group. Um, and you can kind of spread the word about this. Or you can just call. I always tell people, come to my house, come and sit and watch what we do. Um, it's a really fun um, experience. I do what's called a um, classical Christian education, and it's based on a lot of C.S. Lewis's studies about the trivium, meaning that kids start off with memorization. They, they, they'll memorize anything you throw at them, and then they move into this logic stage, which is junior high, which is really fun. It's the argumentative stage. <laughs> but you just kind of roll with that, and you teach them how to argue well. So Josiah is in a logic class that... Um, teaches them about fallacies, how to spot untruths and how to spot truths. That would probably be very beneficial to my brain right about in 2020. <laughs> and Josiah will say, oh, that's a straw man fallacy, Mom. Like if Ellie's like, you yell all the time. She's using the straw man fallacy on you. That's not true. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, yes. So 
Anyways, um, I would love to share that. There's, there's tons. There's ohms to unschooling for those of you who don't even want to buy course books. And yes, your kids will turn out just fine. There was an Olympian in the Winter Olympics who did unschooling, and she's like a super bright genius and just followed her mom around skiing all over the world. And yeah, kids learn from just being with you. And they love to learn. Um, Josiah didn't even, he was, he was writing all the time. I didn't even give him a writing composition class until um, he took his art class this year and had to write a bunch of essays. But he just, I hurried up and taught him MLA and he just went with it because he's always wrote because I never forced him to. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Algebra is a whole other thing, right, Saya? We had to force him to do that. So that is where we're heading. Um, that is my message to you. And I'm not kidding, Rick asked me to share this in August and it's taken me this long to have the nerve to stand up and say this stuff. <laughs> but it's, I'm very passionate about it. But anybody who knows me knows I'm not a black and white person. You do what God's called you to do. Don't ever feel condemned with that, ever. Because God called me to this. Lacey homeschooled too, she was kind of the forerunner. She took a lot of the hard knocks for a lot of us, especially me. Because of the family, she was the first. She got a lot of the questions and everything, and then I just followed suit. You know, we're kind of pioneers here, each of us. And um, so you have to do what you feel to do with your child. But whatever you choose to do, over and over again, write it on your doorpost post as you go, constantly put the word into them and get them reading their Bibles as much as you can, get them the full history. So we're gonna end today with a special surprise, Josiah's art class. <laughs> he has my college professor actually, and which is so funny, but I took my art survey class through her and I got a C in the class. <laughs> I was not good at it, it was a very difficult class. Josiah currently has a 100% and he's only got a couple more weeks left. I'm really proud of him. And he never took a composition class and he writes essays <laughs> every week. It's amazing, this is only God. All of this comes from him, it's supernatural. And, uh, and cause I, I'm telling you, I tripped homeschooling, I, my friends know, I don't have to tell you, it was hard, it was really hard. My kids are always late readers, always late writers. It was God that did it all. And um, so he had um, a final project to do, um, it's like 70% of his grade, so he worked on this for quite a while, thought about it, changed this project multiple times, and um, he wants to be a, to go into film, and he wants to bring God back into film. He wants to do Christian films that are actually really good. <laughs> and so that's on his heart. So this is his final project, and he said, Mom, you could show that video, and I was like, that is the perfect end cap, because it pretty much says everything that I want to say, so... When these guys are ready, we can get that up and running. And thank you guys for listening to me. <laughs>